There is peace and contentment in the Father's house today. Lots of food on his table and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by. But a hush comes a singing as the Father sadly Yeah. 
And if you would turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 13. I know that uh, I heard the this, this statistic that uh, 25%, at least 20%, but maybe perhaps 25% of Americans today are too young to remember September 11, 2001 personally. And they have you know, only what they have seen and heard of September 11 as a historical event in our country. But for many of us, we all remember where we were that day and uh, perhaps even that week. You know, for me, I remember being up on the roof, tearing shingles off of our garage, and uh, the contractors came in that morning to put the new roof on early that morning, and, and they came with the news of September 11th. I really was not, I, uh, being homeschooled, I was not all familiar with the, the uh, architecture of New York City or exactly what was happening. And, but I soon, you know, going in and watching the events unfold on the news, on the local networks, antenna, uh, I soon learned that this is a great and serious situation. Uh, for me, the, the closest it came personally was that uh, my, the best friend of my dad growing up, uh, whose home in Huntsville, Alabama, I stopped at almost every trip uh, to Pensacola Christian College, where I went to college for my undergrad and for my seminary training, uh, going back and forth between Minis my home and my parents' home in Minnesota. I would often stop there at his home. And he was supposed to have a meeting. He works for the government as a contractor building Apache helicopters. And he was supposed to have had a meeting in the part of the Pentagon that was hit by the plane on September 11th that day. And it was at the last minute was changed to a different location and he was not there for that plane crash. But he was very, you know, obviously moved by those events and jumped in a, a rental car with some of his friends right away and drove all the way home. Uh, and the rental car company forgave him that those extra miles uh, because of the events of that day. And that was the closest it came for me personally. And perhaps some of you know people or, uh, who, were, who are more closely connected to the events of that day. But I remember later that week, uh, all that week, every evening, we were attending a basic uh, seminar and basic life principles. Uh, for the second, it was the second time I had attended that seminar. It was both times it was on video recording. And one of the evenings that week, later in that week, very soon after 9-11, a message from a passage in scripture that I'd really never heard preached about before in any detail was mentioned that seemed to just jump out as if it was appropriate to the events of 9-11. So thinking back to 15 years ago and to that message, and I don't remember all the points or details of it at all, I just remember the passage and the main point. I'd like to go to that in Luke 13 this morning. In this passage of, of Luke 13, 1 through 9, Jesus gives three illustrations 
of why sometimes we need to change. Sometimes repentance is needed. Always, as sinners, there's repentance in some way in our lives that is needed. But sometimes there is especially a change needed to, to avoid becoming entirely unusable for God. And the first illustration he gives is of the Galileans in Luke 13 who are mentioned, who are killed by Pilate. And the second illustration is of 18 people who are killed by a tower that falls, that falls on them. And then finally, Jesus gives the illustration of a fig tree without fruit. All of these illustrations given to demonstrate the change, the repentance that is needed in our lives. Let's look at this passage. I'll read through the whole thing and then go through point by point. Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that, the Ga that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why encumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then, after that, thou shalt cut it down. Let's look first at the first illustration Jesus gives here of the need for repentance, of the need for a change in our lives to align our lives with God's will. The first is the illustration of the Galileans who are slain, who are killed by Pilate, the governor at Jerusalem. Verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 1 there were present at, the at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. From my study, according to the sources I've looked at, there's no historical record of this event. It's only recorded here in the Bible for us. And this is the only place in Scripture it is recorded, is referred to. Josephus does not mention it. There's uh, no other mention outside of this passage here in Luke of this event, as well as events further described here, including this parable. Uh, 
this is a passage that is unique to the book of Luke, not, is not recorded in the other Gospels. And apparently, as, as told here in verse 1, those present in Jesus' audience told him of the Galileans who were put to death, who were killed while they were making sacrifice by Pilate. And this could be related to the disagreement, a argument, a feud that was going on between Herod, the ruler of Galilee, and Pilate, who ruled over Judea. And when the Galileans, these, this particular group of Galileans, came down, and that, that, that uh, falling out is recorded in uh, Matthew 23 or Luke 23, is recorded between Herod and Pilate. And apparently when they came to sacrifice at Jerusalem, coming out of their region, Galilee, over which Herod presided, down to Jerusalem, where Pilate was the governor. Pilate took their lives, had their lives taken as they were sacrificing. And that was a place that was supposed to be a safe place when you're making a sacrifice, when you come to the temple, when you're you're coming to celebrate a feast or make a sacrifice that's supposed to be a safe zone. But they were killed there. Perhaps Jesus is being warned in some way here because he is from Galilee, he's from Nazareth. Perhaps they're, they're, they're telling him this so he won't go up to Jerusalem. Perhaps they're telling him this to, to bring a, a sense of anger to him as many Jews were looking for Jesus to be their physical deliverer, their Messiah who would free them from the occupation of the Romans. So perhaps they're trying to say, hey, your countrymen, the Galileans, were slain by Pilate. What are you going to do about it? Go, go take some revenge. Uh, what, should we rise up and, and throw off the Roman rule under Pilate at Jerusalem? Perhaps they're looking for that. We don't know exactly what their intentions or motives are in telling Jesus, but they tell him the news. You know, perhaps they're mourning or expect Jesus to mourn um, this event. But there also seems to be an indication that the people telling him of this have the incorrect view that was common among the Jews at this time in history. And even going back previously to people who were non-Jews who believed in God who have tended all the way since the time of Job to believe that if something bad happens to someone, it's because that person for some reason deserves that because of their sin. And Jesus refutes that argument. He refutes that idea here. He says in verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? In other words, when something bad happens like this execution of Galileans making the sacrifice or a disease or sickness. Think of Job. His friends came to him and they thought because of all the bad things, the evil things happening to him, that he had done something sinful to deserve that. That was their thinking and that was incorrect thinking and Jesus is calling that out here. In another passage, the disciples ask Jesus concerning a blind man who was born blind and they asked him, which which person sinned, the blind man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And, you know, Jesus refutes that idea then as well and heals that blind man miraculously. It is not, uh, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, 
In Matthew chapter 5, we also see the principle that the rain falleth on the just and the unjust. That life is full of good and bad things that come upon both good and bad people. And it's not just good things come upon good people and bad things come upon bad people. That's not how it works. Both good and bad in this life come upon both people who are trying to live according to God's will and those who are rejecting God's will. And so Jesus refutes that idea here and instead turns from any kind of judgment upon the Galileans who died rather than examining them. They're dead. It does no good to pass judgment upon them, but rather turns the conversation to the people in his audience and says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And we think of the all-familiar, so familiar verse of John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I believe that is the parish to which Jesus is referring to the people in his audience, that they need to be concerned about their own eternal destiny and make sure that they are putting their faith in him. If they are rejecting him as their Messiah, as their Savior, if they do reject him after his sacrifice is made, then they will be accountable for that rejection and they will perish. And that is what they need to be focused on and not being passing any kind of judgment upon someone else who has perished physically from this world and think that it's because of that person's sin, but rather examine their own hearts and see if there's something um, between them and God. If they are in a right relationship with God so that they are prepared when they meet him after this life. And that word repent, that word repent here, it means to, to change our mind, to realign our thinking and our actions to God's will. Um, to, uh, repent is used other places in the Bible think, uh, to refer to a change of mind, a change of heart that results in a change of course in our life. And for us as believers, those who have us are already believers, I think the example is going to be further clarified in the following two points. That if there's anything in our lives that we need to correct to make it line up with what God wants, we need to do that to avoid um, not that when bad things happen, it's because that person is doing something sinful, but to always examine ourselves and make sure with the time that we have left in this earth that we are doing God's will for our lives because we don't know when the end is going to come. At some point, the end of our lives will come and we'll give an account to God for how we lived. And so let's make sure that we align our lives with his will. Let's make sure if we need to repent, if we need to change our mind, change our hearts, change our actions in some way, let's do that and bear fruit as we'll see in the final illustration, the importance of bearing fruit in our lives. So the first illustration here is of the Galileans killed by Pilate. And then we see a very similar illustration given. In the second illustration Jesus gives here, of 18 men on whom the tower of Siloam fell. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. 
or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. And for me, at the time that I, I heard this passage read and, and uh, expounded upon, at, at that time, and I talked to some of the other teenage guys who were there at that seminar, and, and they agreed, you know, that that stood out to them as well because of what had just happened in the previous few days with the towers of the World Trade Center falling and many people dying in that event. And for us at that time in my life, at age 16, that very week, this really stood out to me that the people who died on September 11th, they didn't deserve to die any more than you or I. We are all sinners, so we all deserve the curses of this world that come upon us for the sake of sin. Death comes on all, for that all have sinned. And, you know, the different curses on this earth, the pain, the suffering, the sickness, it's all part of the curse of sin that the human race endures. You know, whether we are trying to live our lives for God's glory or not, we will encounter those curses of sin on this natural world and some of the pain and suffering that goes with that, along with those who are not in conformance to God's will. And so those people who died on September 11th, you know, they really were just like us. It could have happened to any of us. Now, that stood out to me when I heard that this week, 15 years ago. Let's look at verse 4 again. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. And, of course, the implied answer and the stated answer in verse 5. I tell you, nay, no. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And of course, all, every person, unless Christ returns before that time, will die, will physically die. And everyone who has not placed their faith in Jesus will perish in that second death as well. And that, I believe, is, is partly of what he is referring to here that they need to examine themselves and make sure that they're not trusting their own works or the fact that they're Jews for their salvation, but that they're paying attention to the things that Christ is saying and putting their faith in him for their salvation. And that applies to each of us today, nearly 2,000 years after this was written. So that is the second point here. The second illustration Jesus gives is the 18 men who, fought, who, who, who died when the Tower of Siloam fell, a tower that may have been by the pool of Siloam. It may have been people who were at the pool of Siloam. People would wait to enter the pool when the waters would be moved by an angel and get healed, and only that first person who reached it. So this could have been people who were waiting to be healed. Could have been that. Could have been a that this, t this tower was part of the wall of Jerusalem and it fell on some people who were right there in that vicinity, whether at work or at home. Uh, apparently, it was a, a major event that everybody knew of when Jesus referred to it, just as we know, are very familiar with the events of September 11th, 15 years ago, and those towers that fell. And then Jesus gives an illustration in the form of a parable, parable of a fig tree. 
a barren fig tree. And that is the third illustration Jesus gives, and it seems to be somewhat connected to these two events, one which was brought up to Jesus and another which Jesus brought up himself as a further illustration of the same principle that, wait a minute, no, the Galileans were not killed by Pilate because they were sinners that God wanted to judge. That wasn't necessarily why they were killed at all. And he said he used the same idea of the people, which perhaps that was a more understandable situation that, oh, yes, of course, that, that tower just accidentally fell and killed those 18 people, and those 18 people may have been good law-abiding citizens, that perhaps they did not, you know, were innocent, and that they did not deserve any more than anyone else would for that tower to fall and kill, on, kill them. And so Jesus uses that to further illustrate, no, the Galileans were not sinners above all else, and neither, was, neither were the victims of that tower falling upon them. But you need to examine yourselves, he says to his audience, and make sure that unless you repent, uh, make sure that you are not going to suffer a similar fate in dying and then perhaps even the second death. If, if they have not put their trust in him and their Messiah, if they, have not, if they reject their Messiah, then they will perish. Verse 6, we see the beginning of this third illustration of the fig tree. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why encumbereth it the ground? In other words, you know, it's taking up space that could be used for other trees that will bear figs. Cut it down. It's wasting space in this vineyard. But notice the response of the servant to his master in this situation. Verse 8. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. In other words, to compost it, to give it the opportunity to get the nutrients it needs to produce fruit, to grow to that maturity and produce. And if it bear fruit, verse 9, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. And I think the principle here that is similar to the first two illustrations is, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Verse 9, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. I think that is the same parallel principle to the, those two statements of Jesus, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. The same principle, except perhaps even more for us who are already believers, that the time that we have in this life, we need to use to conform ourselves more and more to the will of God, to become more like Christ, to be someone who points those around us in this world, the lost souls of this world, to Jesus for salvation. And as a church, to be that ministry, that organization, commissioned by God to point people to Jesus, to be the light of the world and salt of the earth. And uh, we never know 
when the time that we are given in this world to do so will come to an end. You know, as it suddenly came to an end for those who were victims, who perished on 9-11, or who perished as the Galileans by Pilate in, verse, in the previous verses, or those upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell. We don't know how, how long we have in this, in this life, and you know, not, not everyone is given the, the same amount of time or the same opportunities, but we're all expected to do what we can, conform our lives with the will of God. And the, the example in this case of the fig tree, this fig tree had been given three years. And it was expected to bear fruit each of those years, and it did not. And so the owner of the vineyard, he had been patient. He had been waiting for the tree to bear fruit. But now he's ready to remove it. But notice that the servant here makes an appeal and asks for one more year and wants to give the fig tree every opportunity to bear fruit. And every moment that we have in this life is our opportunity. And I believe God brings us more opportunities in the way that the servant is bringing you know, the, the compost for the fig tree to give us more opportunities. And those opportunities we need to take advantage of as growing opportunities, the, whether it be a trial, whether it be a blessing in our life, is it's an opportunity to become more like Christ and to be a witness, to be a testimony for God, you know, until the time that we go to be with him. And we're no longer um, here in this world where we are to be bearing fruit for God. For me, I see this uh, opportunity here this year, a new opportunity for me, becoming the new pastor here. It's a new opportunity to bear fruit. And I'm given this opportunity, and I need to make sure I do what I can to make sure I'm not just encumbering the ground. You know, for the church, it's a new opportunity as well to bear fruit for God, to make sure we take advantage of this opportunity to bear fruit. And it, for each of us as individuals in our life, when things come into our lives, good or bad, blessings or trials, let's make sure that the way we're responding is in a way that bears fruit for God. And that if there is something that we need to repent turn from, change in our lives, let's make sure we change, that we make that change, because God is very merciful. As you see in the principle of the fig tree, he wants to give us every opportunity, and every moment that we have on this earth is another more uh, pro prolonged opportunity to serve God, to bear fruit, to, t to repent, to make the changes in our lives that we need to be, and all all of us who are, have put our faith in Christ, we have taken that step in entering our relationship with Christ so that we have taken that first step and we will not, have to, we will not perish in the second death. But then once we have taken that second step, we, are, we have opportunities to bear fruit like the fig tree. And so let's use those opportunities while we are here in this life to glorify God, to bring forth fruit, to win souls, to be a testimony, to do works that God gives us the opportunity to do in our life, to be an encouragement to someone, to share the gospel, to pray, to 
disciple, whatever the opportunity we have, the different people that we meet, everyone we come into contact with and have an opportunity to get to know is an opportunity to have an influence on another person, on another soul, whether for salvation or discipleship. And we are to be light. We are to be like Christ. We are to bear fruit in our lives. And there are many passages in the Bible, and uh, particularly in, in the Sermon on the Mount, about bearing fruit. And the fruit in our lives, you know, it's mentioned as the fruit of the Spirit in one place, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the meekness. Those are all fruits that we are to be bearing as Christians, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and also the fruit of, of works that are mentioned, were mentioned uh, in, my, in my previous messages two weeks ago when we began our study of 1 Thessalonians. Paul praised the Thessalonian church for their fruit, and he encourages them. We're going to see that next week. Should you be here next week for our continued study of 1 Thessalonians, Lord willing, we will see how Paul encourages the church at Thessalonica to endure the persecution for their faith that they're encountering at Thessalonica in the works that they're doing in growing the church and being a light and spreading the gospel. One of the things that I'd like to start in this church is... Uh, a visitation. I know there's all kinds of, of, of things that we'd like to, to get to work on. We want to start a WANA club. Some of you are interested in that. If you're, uh, and I, I know two of you, if there's others who are interested, we'd like to discuss that further about starting that children's ministry, probably on a Wednesday night. And uh, also visitation. It's another great work, another great opportunity to bear fruit. And I believe, you know, 6.30 this Thursday would be a good time if you were able to come. And, and uh, I've been asked to, you know, give a little class. If you would like to be interested in that, come and speak with me personally or call me or text me and let me know. And uh, we'd like to, to get that visitation going. If, if, even, uh, if even just one couple or one, one person shows up for a visitation, uh, cannot, I could easily uh, you know, help to, to give you the opportunity, whether it be uh, if it's a guy who shows up, one, one person, one man, that person could go with me on visitation, uh, whether it be to visit shut-ins of the church or, in particular, the, the type of visitation I'm, I have in mind to, to begin for church-wide visitation is going to different doors in the community and letting them know that we're here, that the, that we'd love, if they do not have a church that they attend, we'd love for them to come here and join us here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore. Let them know that we have, you know, that I'm here now as, as a new pastor, and let them uh, know when our services is know what know what we believe. You know, if they're open to hearing the gospel, and not to be pushy, not to be a, you know, uh, anything like the Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons, not seeking to argue or steal people from their different churches if they go to a different Bible-believing church, but give people the opportunity to know we're here, know we care about them, and invite them here. And that's, that's, those are examples of different works that we can be involved in here, and there's so many that you've been involved in even this summer. 
for this church and I thank you for how fruitful this church already is and the different testimonies I've heard of people leading souls to Christ and uh, everyone is given different different gifts, different spiritual gifts for which you um, for which God will reward you in your being fruitful through your local church, through here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore, if you're visiting through your um, your church. And so we've seen to this morning three illustrations from Luke chapter 13 that Jesus gave to demonstrate our need for repentance, a need for change to align our lives with God's will, make sure how we're living, how we're thinking, that if we need to make a change there, that we do that because we have this time in this life and that's the only time that we have on this earth to make the decision first of all to put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation as he died to redeem us to atone to pay the penalty that we deserved you know as just as if we had broken a law in this world in or even this country or this community, if we broke a law that requires us to pay a fine, if we don't pay the fine, we go to prison. Jesus paid the fine for us through his death on the cross so that we do not have to perish and experience that second death of separation from God forever in that terrible place called hell. And so that's the first part of repentance. And there is no good work that we are required or could even do if we wanted to to earn salvation i do not believe in lordship salvation that uh, that uh, you you have to have certain works in order to be a christian but we do want to bear fruit we do want to use the time that we have left going forward to bear fruit for god to bring glory to god so that we're not just taking up space in in this life but that we're pointing people to jesus with the way we live decisions we make, the time that we have in uh, whatever area God moves us to, that we need to make a change, let's make those changes, and let's remember, you know, let's remember these events that happened on September 11th, and, and think of it in this light, that uh, perhaps such events are, are terrible, they're very terrible, but they remind us of our frailty, our limited time in this world, and there should be a wake-up call for our country, for all the changes that really need to, we need to have to, to move our country back in the right direction. That starts with us as individuals in this country, and it starts with us as a community, as a church. And let's uh, make these changes in our personal lives and in our ministries that we would align ourselves with God's will and be fruitful for God. And at this, at this time, we're going to have um, our closing hymn and then closing in prayer. And our closing hymn is just as I am. And that refers to the principle. This was often played at many, many revivals. I'm going to be attending a couple of them this week, perhaps, um, as there's evangelists coming to the school where I teach. And I'll definitely be there for those chapel messages during the school day. And they're also meeting in the evening. And it's this song, Just As I Am, refers to the principle that we come to God 
just as we are. We do not have to clean up to, to make a... Repentance does not mean turning from our sin in order to be saved. We do not have to clean up our lives to come to Jesus. We come just as we are. And if there's anyone here this morning, I hope that you will come and, and meet with me up front this morning and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Or come and, and ask any questions you have. Or come... Uh, later, to, uh, you know, at, following this service, and talk to me about if if you are interested in in, in meeting for a, a visitation or learning how to do that. You know, like I said, if it, even just one person comes, if it's a guy, you can go out visiting with me. If it's a lady, they could go out visiting with my wife. If it's a couple, you know, um, either the guy could go with me visiting, or the couple could watch our kids, and my wife and I could go out visiting. If there's several people that come, we can we can go through some. Some, the way that in which uh, how to visit and uh, we come to God just as we are is this song we're about to sing but after we come to God we don't remain just as we were we change in the way that God wants us to to become more like him let's keep that in mind as we sing this closing hymn just as I am